Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. You do not want to miss this episode. Let me tell you a bit about my guest, Chengxi Wang. In addition to her deep technical background, starting with her PhD in computer science, she's recognized for her work as an advocate for equality and diversity in the high-tech field. Winner of the 2019 Women Investor Award and the SC Award for Women of Influence. She is also the founder and managing partner of Rain Capital and the founder of Equal Respect and the Jane Bond Project. Chengxi shares insights not only for diverse women, but for leaders who wish to be part of raising up a more equitable and diverse workforce. This is truly an episode for all of us as we talk about what it will take to reverse the dramatic decline of the numbers of women and of all people of color in big tech. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast. Today I am with Chengxi Wang. She is the founder and managing partner of Rain Capital with a long involvement in the tech industry and in cybersecurity. I really want to dig into her perspectives here about women in tech, so I'm not going to take a ton of time today, but Chengxi, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for having me. We have a lot to talk about, so I want to dive right in because I know we have an audience out there who is looking to the women who have had those flagship careers, the ones who are leading the industry now, and looking for some perspectives and insights about what it is that it's going to take for us you know, to be more successful in building the kinds of careers that people are hoping for in the tech industry. And when I say tech industry, I'm speaking broadly, but also maybe focusing my attention a little bit on the big tech companies and cybersecurity industry. So how does that sound? Sounds great. Perfect. Well, tell me a little bit about your path. You have had a stellar career. I'd love for you to recap that for the audience. Thank you, Karen. Let's see. I started in tech as a computer science student, very 
traditional career path, if you will. I started computer science undergraduate, got a computer science graduate degree, and went on to get a PhD in computer science. And then I went to academia. My first job was a faculty position at Carnegie Mellon University teaching computer security. After a number of years of that, I wanted to do something more practical. So I left academia to join Silicon Valley in a startup. And then from there, I did industry research. I was VP of research at Forrester for a number of years covering the cybersecurity market before even cybersecurity became a very active and and very engaging market. And then I went on to a number of operator and executive roles in large and small companies. And before I founded my own venture fund. So this is the fund that I founded in 2017, and we are in the middle of deploying our first fund. I'm also sitting on a few boards. I'm a public board member and also on a few private boards. The board governance work is something very interesting to me, and it's a new thing in my career, if you will. I'd love to talk a little bit about that today as well. Oh, yeah. I want to make sure we get to that because more women on boards is such an important topic for influencing the direction of this industry. So we will get back to that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm interested, was there anything in particular that influenced you early on to choose computer science for your PhD? That's a good question. I think it's partially accidental, whereby I was interested in math and science and was also interested in a degree that would have somewhat practical skills that I can bring to bear. And so computer science seems to be sitting in the intersection of mathematical theories in terms of some of the fundamental computer science theory and engineering principles which really excited me. So that's how I made my decision back then. And it turned out to be a great decision. Yeah, no kidding. I asked the question because it's fascinating to me, like what kind of background did people bring to their computer science or their cybersecurity career? And I know we're seeing more and more people from alternative backgrounds. And for myself, I had life sciences, but not the math. And I went into computer science anyway. So I kudos and you know honor and glory to you for having this strong math background because that's not something that's super common, at least with girls when I was starting my college career. And now is so much more, I guess, not just acceptable, but really looked up to and and encouraged. Yes. So my mother was a high school math teacher, actually went on to become a college math teacher herself. And so math was always a principle in the household that I grew up with was something that, you know, everybody could do. And there was never a question whether a girl can do math or not. And I grew up winning several math contests in my little local school district. So I guess that helped. I love that so much. You know, let's talk a little bit too about women coming into computer science, into tech, and into cybersecurity, if we can, for a moment. 
this is really near and dear to my heart as I know it is to yours, with trying to have more women in positions of influence in the tech industry, we have a kind of a pipeline problem, it sounds like. I've always said, you've helped me see the light here because I've always said that the pipeline really wasn't the issue. But it turns out that, you know, when I was getting my computer science degree, my master's in computer science, women were 34% of the computing workforce. We've seen a precipitous drop in this area of STEM. And I'm, I would just love to hear your perspectives and thoughts on that a little bit. Yes, it is unfortunate that there is a visible drop between, I think, the statistics in the 70s, maybe early 80s, for the percentage of women going into computer science and computer engineering versus what it was a few years ago. I don't know what the latest stat is for like 2019, 2020. The reasons are kind of up for debate at this point. But one of the things I always thought personally was that as computer science gets more high profile, if you will, right? So many of the new successful companies, Google, Facebook, Twitter, they hire so many computer science graduates. It became a very sought after career path. There's more and more portrayal of computer scientists and computer engineers in popular media and TV shows and literature, while that I think at some level is a good thing. But as an industry, we have perpetuated a stereotype of what a computer engineer is or what a hacker is. It's typically male you know, wearing a hoodie and maybe, you know, sitting in front of a computer and somewhat of a social loner, brilliant, but it's just not an image that I would think a high school girl or a junior high school girl will look at this and say, yes, I want to be like that guy. It's just not, right? So I think we have a potentially image problem and As you and I know, not everybody in our industry is like that. However, that was the image many outside the industry saw. And I think that's not a great thing to have and not a great thing to have the STEM students to think about that's their future. So, And also, I think we have somewhat a problem of teaching maybe computer science principles or concepts early on in school. And so there's a disconnect between the current disciplines they learn and what needs to happen to build a successful computer science career. Well, similar to what you mentioned, I mean, you had the model of a mom who was, you know, a teacher in mathematics at a fairly high level. And that's a tremendous role model and a source of encouragement. And I think you're right. I mean, there's just a lot of people that would look at the picture that is typically portrayed of someone who's a hacker in our industry and like one, that is not really where I want to spend all my time. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I sort of lean towards that myself. So it was like, I never really thought about it being a problem. But I, I think that another place we need to look at too, in Emily Chang's book, about Brotopia, you know, dismantling the Boys Club of Silicon Valley. She talks in there about some of the factors that are involved in 
discouraging women. And one of the things that was quite interesting to me was the stereotype, actually, that as the internet became developed, as it was in the process of developing during the 70s, you know, 60s and 70s, we had so many more women in computer science until it became clear that the internet and the promise of the internet was going to be a very highly compensated kind of industry. And the equation of high compensation equals male sort of started to shift the way people who were building companies and building teams were thinking about who they were going to hire. So there's, like you said, there's a lot of factors involved here. And Mm -hmm. I guess one of the things I, I'd love your thought on this really quick before we move on to the next topic. And that is how we get past that. Because the truth is, you know, we were talking earlier, you and I, before the show about Melinda Gates. And she mentions, I think, that we're not going to really dismantle this inequity in the tech industry in our lifetime. I mean, 270 years, and I know she's pouring billions of dollars to try to change that. But the truth of it is, I think it's rather ingrained. And that's my opinion, that waiting for that to change before we see significant moving of the needle in terms of a more equitable and more diverse community in tech is just not a viable strategy. And we need to find ways to help women who are already here to stay and women who are thinking about entering this to go ahead and join us. Right. How, you know, we're kind of the shoulders for them to stand on is the way I look at that. What do you think we could be doing, if anything, more of in order to shape this industry, to bring it into a more diverse and equity-friendly environment? Right. So there are two sides to this problem, right? One is companies and organizations need to be more inclusive. They need to instill a more inclusive, more open corporate culture. And that I think a lot of companies are working on, but it's not a said and done issue. The other side is women us, you know, ourselves need to look at this problem and find opportunities that potentially are outside of the normal channel for us. And and we also need to be more aggressive and pursuing those opportunities. And people like you and I can help. And as you know, we have a group of senior women and mentorship and DNI issues are high on the discussion list. And all of us have made a career for ourselves and we can help as well. So I think tackling this problem from the two sides, ourselves, what we can do differently and from the company societal standpoint, what can we do in a more inclusive, more open fashion, both sides coming together, we should be able to see the difference. In fact, I think there are some encouraging statistics right in Cybersecurity, I think we now see over 20% of women in cybersecurity, and I think several years ago was 11%. So there is a visible change there. So I'm hoping that this trend will continue. Yeah, I think that's why, you know, shows like this, and I, I thank you again for joining me here, because hearing from you with the influence and the impact that you have 
in this industry. And I want to talk just a quick second about your work at Rain Capital is so and so incredibly important and encouraging. And the idea, I think, you know, you can comment on this if you want to. I think we need to make sure that we toughen up a little also. Like we shouldn't have to, people shouldn't have to toughen up in the work environment, but there's a certain amount of resilience that just sort of serves us on a day-to-day basis that says, I'm going to rock and roll with this. It isn't always going to be easy. It might be a tough hill to climb sometimes, but I can do it, right? right. There's no no doubt that I can do it and I'm going to do it. That I think we need a little bit. We might need a little bit more rah-rah in that area. <laughs> yes. In our industry, because it is not, none of us got here by this being an easy path. For that's sure. Correct. Yeah, that's right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So tell me at Rain Capital, you are in a unique position of influence. There are not very many women VCs. There are not very many women of color VCs. That's so right. you have such a great position that you built basically for yourself. I want to hear a little bit about how you're using that and the things that you're doing for influence for women in tech in this industry. Yes. So as you pointed out, there aren't many fund managers like me, which I think is good to see. Even in Silicon Valley, we are seeing more and more people like me that is taking on partner positions or founder of new funds. So that's very encouraging and including myself, my journey into venture capital. It's possible to do it. And once you get here, I think all of us, it is incumbent on us to give back, right? So how do we give back? In my fund, we try to create a friendly environment for women founders and women entrepreneurs, lower the barrier for women to entry for fundraising. So we help women entrepreneurs in their fundraising approach. We advise them. We actually proactively seek them out. And platforms like All Raise, which is a women entrepreneur-focused conference, helping women founders and entrepreneurs get together and learn about best practices in fundraising, in pitching, in building a deck, in networking. Everything in that is helping to leveling the playing field. My fund, even though we don't have a mandate to fund women entrepreneurs per se, last year, the end of last year, we have 50% of our portfolio by women founders. And right now, I think it's 40% because we just closed a few more deals. But even that 40% is comparing to the national average of just 2%, which is a huge gap, right? And I think about how we were able to achieve that. Again, we didn't set out to say we have to fund women founder only, but we set out to find the best companies with the mindset that we are extremely conscientious about implicit bias, about the ability to proactively seek out interesting non-traditional profile founders And just by those doing those things, we're able to achieve 40, 50% of diversity profile. 
And imagine if every fund does this or every company does this, then we would see much more even sort of picture in high tech industry in big tech versus what it is now. I love that. You are proving a hypothesis by actually going out there and doing it. Do you see this trend like moving to having more companies, more funds, you know, pursuing the same kind of diversity that you're doing? Do you see that? I think there is. It's moving slowly. I don't see an overnight change. I do see sort of a gradual change of breaking down barriers, breaking down stereotypes. And I think by all of us being here, doing the work we do and profiling women entrepreneurs, women founders, it is changing gradually. Yeah. Well, you know, that is the number one way, you know, be the change, right? Be the change. You are, exactly. You are doing it. Any insights into performance of women-led companies and diverse companies that you're seeing? In my portfolio, I have to say the women founders are kicking ass. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for the <laughs> use of the word. <laughs> so they're just very much on top of things. So I get regular reports from women-led companies where sometimes I have to chase down the other <laughs> founders, but the women are just on top of things. They're organized. They're extremely proactive. And I think that's probably from years of having to do that, to stand out, to get to the success they have today. And so I'm just extremely impressed and extremely thankful that I get to work with that caliber of entrepreneurs every day. You know, that I haven't heard anybody mention that before, but the fact that women end up working so often three times harder than their male counterparts in order to prove a point, not just to prove a point, but to make sure that they are what my boss used to call obscenely prepared at all yes, times. Absolutely. And, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it really pays off then when you're in the leadership role and you're multitasking and keeping many plates spinning at the same time, it really serves you well. That's fantastic. I'm happy to hear that. I would <laughs> say, we didn't we didn't kind of pre-check that fact before the show, so I'm really happy by asking the question. It turned out to be such a positive response. Yeah, absolutely. And again, every day they they impress me and they inspire me and help me do a better job in my work. <laughs> That's great. And I know I've watched, you know, on social media, I follow you and I'm always so pleased to see how you showcase the companies in your portfolio and their wins. And that's very encouraging. And anyone who follows, you know, if you don't follow Rain Capital, you should. If you're already following it, I'm sure you agree that the way that Jenksy highlights these companies and showcases them not only is a boost to the company, but to those who are on the outside going, hey, maybe someday that could be me, right? There's that inspiration and example. Yes, yes absolutely. absolutely. I want to talk about this. I think it's probably interesting to our discussion. When I entered grad school, you know, my first year grad student, 
I really didn't know anything. I was so young and so unprepared, and in a foreign country and everything. So I joined this research group led by this super high-profile professor, who then went on to become the president of the National Academy of Engineering. I think that's a presidential appointee position, and suffice to say that he's hugely successful, right? And so I was always intimidated by his presence, and in group meetings or in one-on-one research meetings, I was always kind of timid in the beginning. That is, so one day he called me into his office. And he said, "I notice you are very quiet in group meetings." He said. You are extremely smart," he said, "and you're very prepared. Whenever we have a meeting, you bring the materials you prepare. There is no reason that your opinions will be any less than those of your peers. And I would like to hear from you more." And I was sort of taken aback because I didn't think he even noticed me, or he even paid attention to what I said or didn't say. Right. But the fact that he trusted me, he brought to my attention that he wanted to hear more from me, gave me such a confidence boost. Yeah, and I always thought of him as a great mentor because not only he sort of pointed out to me that and made me believe that I had something valuable to share. He's always extremely encouraging to anyone, not only to you know his students, but. Even just an undergrad who just walked in to ask a question, and this comes in. This is like the most high-profile professor of the department. He always makes time for you, and people like that just made things, I would say, so much easier for me, at least. But years later, right after, I remember having the research meeting with him, first year and second year, and and it typically was the case that he would stand at the The whiteboard explaining things to me, and I was just taking notes ferociously and not saying much because I kind of trying to consume. And I thought about it at that time. I was like, "Oh, I wish someday I could be standing at the whiteboard explaining things to him." And then I said to myself, "Ah, that'll never happen because he knows so much. I would never know more than he does." And I think that in the last year and a half in my graduate career. Gradually, I spent more and more time at the whiteboard without even knowing it. Right, and one day it dawned on me that I was doing exactly what I wish I was doing in my first year. So I was spending the whole time at the whiteboard drawing diagrams, explaining things to him, and he was making comments, as opposed he was explaining things to me. Right, so, and that change happened gradually. And it wasn't overnight, but once I realized that, it really gave me a mental image that I could do it. Even with someone who has done so much, you know, he's gotten all kinds of awards and has done foundational research in computer science. I still had something valuable to contribute that he could learn, and it came from me who knew nothing <laughs> in the beginning. So. That was such a great realization. That's what makes you such an incredible mentor and sponsor, because you know exactly what that feels like, right? Yes. You, Thank you. Yeah, it's so powerful. My experience—I have almost exactly the same kind type of experience as a 
research. I was a researcher at Boeing and the head of research and technology who ran like, he ran multiple companies. In addition to the work that he did at the Boeing company, he was one of those people I kind of like considered to be like, there would never be any way I could ever be in his shoes or do something similar to what he did. And he walked into my office one day and he looked me straight in the eye. Just I had his 100% undivided attention. And he said, I really need your advice and I'd like to bounce something off of you. It was a turning point for me, like kind of like what you described there. It's, it's, that's so great that you shared that and thank you. And I kind of add my little bit on there because it's, just to say to anybody who's listening, who's in that position of having other people who are at your feet, <laughs> you can do so much in five minutes to completely change their perception of the impact that they could have in the world by giving them your undivided attention. And if you see them being quiet, I love that he did that for you to encourage you to you know, speak up yep. because you have something so valuable to share. That's incredible. Well, I thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's so powerful. Yeah. There just need to be more moments like that. And I think really conscious leaders, that's the mark of a fantastic leader is someone who will not just be there with their expertise and kind of like they're doing their leadership role, but then they're turning around and recognizing that that part of their job is to bring up the younger people behind them who will someday take their place, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, that's what makes it so much fun. I love, I love, love, love it when we get the chance to go talk and encourage younger people in this profession because, wow. You know, we're paying back what was done for us, right? That's incredible. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about cybersecurity industry, talk a little bit about specifically advice to people who are listening. What kinds of advice would you share with those younger women, people of color who are coming up into this in this industry and are looking for their opportunity, looking for that place, I think you said, to make their unique mark, their special place, carving out that place for them to do what they want to do. Do you have any kinds of bits of wisdom to share with them? I think, and obviously everybody's situation is different. It's hard to find a universal advice, but I think one of the things that has always worked out well for me is finding my own strength. So what are the things that really inspire me and what I'm good at doing and discover those strengths and capitalizing on the strength and leveraging my strength for the goal that I'm trying to achieve, right? And sometimes I'm not the most intentional person in terms of, okay, I have a goal in two years and here are the things I need to do to get there. I'm not quite like that. What I do is I find things that really interest me and really inspire me. Then I tend to dig deeper in that. And then a lot of times when I do that type of work, meaning that 
dig deeper in it and creating either intellectual property or content or some kind of artifact and opportunities will come to me because the work I did. So I guess the meta advice is that finding your strength and really make it aligned with your career goals or professional goals. See if there's something you could do together. And that's where you will see sparks flying for yourself is you're interested in doing this, you're putting in the work, and then you get rewarded by having opportunities presented to you. And that becomes a positive feedback loop and it feeds itself and and becoming larger and larger. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, there's so much talk these days about, it's not about following your passion, you know, be so good. They can't ignore you. And I think there's definitely something to that, but if you're not crazy about what you're doing, well, you know what? Some of times I will say you have to slog through the prerequisites sometimes to get to the cool courses. You know what I'm saying? Yes. You, have to, yes. you have to put in some time. But if you understand where your strengths are and you know that that time that you're spending is going to make it possible for you to really play to your strengths, it's a lot easier to tolerate the things that are maybe a little bit boring. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you do have to, you do have to balance, you know, whether this is something you really need to do, or this is something that it comes with the territory, right? So every job, every position comes with some things that are not maybe mundane, right? Mundane things that you have to accommodate and figuring out whether that's that versus, you know, this whole thing is a wash or that. I think that is actually a good skill to have. Yeah, I think the way I like to express something similar to what you said is you have to know yourself. I mean, you really can know a lot of stuff, but the number one priority needs to be to know yourself and what makes you tick. (laughs) Yeah, and I also think one of the things that all of us need to think about, keep that in mind, is we should ask more questions and ask more people about how to do things, get advice. You know, I can't tell you how much time that I've saved myself by asking, how do I do this? Not just in terms of tactical things, but let's say I kind of want to build my name in this community. Let's just take that as an example, right? So how do I do that? I try to find who's already done that in that community, a central figure or core figure, and I find the mutual connections to him or her. And then I try to establish a relationship and ask them, you know, what's the best practice? What's your advice for working with this community or working on this type of things? And I can tell you that so many good things have happened to me because I've asked the question, as opposed to just blindly pick a strategy and go with it. So, and I think a lot of, not to make too much of a gender statement, but I think a lot of men share best practices and information. So, and we should do that too. And Karen, you're part of the group that meet sometimes. And one of the goals is for that group to actually have more information sharing and get everybody in the group to understand how to do certain things or or share knowledge and experience. You are 
another leader who has shared that asking great questions of the right people too is such a critical skill. I think there was an article recently, I have to go dig it back out, but it was like the top 10 diverse women leaders in tech. And the question was asked, what would you say was the most important skill? No, six out of 10 said asking great questions. Yeah. And it's not just, you know, any question. It is, what do I need to do to move this needle? And going to the people who will have that answer. And, you know, we're intimidated about doing that sometimes, but they're the ones, they're actually pleased to be able to share their insights with us. Yeah. Oftentimes, people are pleased to be asked because it's, it's a sign of respect, right? Sign of what they have done is valuable to other people. And if the question comes from a good place and is respectful, often you get great answers and great help. So for all of you listening out there in the audience, be thinking about what your strengths are. Be thinking about what is something you really want to know about your career and how are you going to frame that question and who are you going to ask? Yes. <laughs> and <laughs> track down and ask them. <laughs> That's fantastic. Tanksy, I think it's about time for us. Unfortunately, the time flies by when we're having these great conversations and it's time to kind of wrap it up. But I want to just ask any other thoughts that you want to share with an audience? Because I know we've got a bunch of people out there listening who tune into the show to find that encouragement and mm-hmm. positive reinforcement for sticking with it in this tech industry. Any final thoughts you want to share? Yeah, maybe one other thing to think about how to stand out and how to be differentiated from your peers. Find the skill that is very much needed and maybe potentially not a core set of skills where everybody else has. So for instance, in the technical community, being a great writer, being a great presenter, in addition to being a great technical person, is of tremendous value. And I've actually, this is one part I've done intentionally in the sense that, remember the story I told about my advisor who called me and told me I should be more assertive in meetings and in presentations. So But it was difficult for me back then because I had just moved to this country and language-wise, it was just not as comfortable, right? So I put myself out there. I took an acting class and I took an improv class just to get myself out there to overcome my uncomfortableness of speaking in front of people. And those two classes really helped (laughs) And, you know, I made a fool of myself on stage and improv classes, but I, that was what you're supposed to do. And I wasn't the only one who's making a fool of myself. And that skill, I was able to bring it over to technical presentation and to sort of hone those skills. And that helped, helped a tremendous amount. Oh my gosh. I love that. (laughs) I was forced to do an improv class, a workshop, wasn't something I signed up for. It was something that was imposed. But I have to say, there can't be anything better 
for those of us who are so often in our head, right. in our technical brain, right? Mm-hmm. To be able to think on our feet, think under pressure, yeah. go with the flow, all those things to relax, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> that's brilliant. Thank you for sharing that. Because I, I do agree. I think that's really an important thing in learning the communications. You know, it doesn't do any good if it's in our head. It's fun for us, but it doesn't really get anything done. We Absolutely. have to communicate. Yeah. Yep. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a lot of fun. I hope we'll get a chance to do it again. Thank you, Karen, for having me. It's a great conversation. I really enjoy it. Thank you. Okay, talk to you soon. Bye-bye. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve. Be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally. Be an ally.